We're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter number four this morning. We've been in Ecclesiastes the past several Sundays when I have been in the pulpit, and we're going to continue on in Ecclesiastes chapter four this morning. So if you'll find that in your Bible, and when you do, if you'd stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God, if you're well able to do that, and if you're not able to do that, God knows, and so I don't want you to feel obligated if you don't feel like you can stand for that time. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, and we'll begin our reading in verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Well, I'm thankful for the good grace of God, aren't you? Man, oh man, saved by His grace, changed by His grace. So very thankful. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, and look with me if you would to verse number 1. The Bible says, so I returned and consider all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which were already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which had not yet been, who had not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work <clears throat> that for this man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith he, For whom do I labor, and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king, who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. I want to preach to you this morning um, on sins that affect society. We live in a dark world. It's just a fact. And I want to, I want to try to bring out of this portion of Scripture sins that affect society. Let's pray and we'll get right on into it. Now, Heavenly Father, we need your help and we know that's true. 
We've heard it already, for without you, we can do nothing. And so we pray uh, one more time for your power and guidance. Oh Lord, as we open our mouth, you fill it. You know the needs represented. I pray you'd speak to hearts today. Help us, Lord, with your word. Encourage us to keep on going. Help us, Lord, come to know Christ if we don't. Whatever needs to happen this morning, I pray would happen because of you. Lord, I, I'm trusting you to do what I can't. And thank you for your goodness and mercies. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. Please do be seated. <clears throat> you may remember as we got into Ecclesiastes that Solomon is looking for happiness, but he has excluded God from that. He's, he's looking for happiness in this world. What can I do in this world that's going to make me happy? How in the world can I find happiness in this life? But he's left God out of it. And I'm telling you, anytime we leave God out of our life, there's no happiness to be found. Oh, we might find moments of happiness and things that we buy, things that we do along the way. But I'm telling you, that long-term joy that only God promises can only come from God. And we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. As we further get into Ecclesiastes, Solomon continues to reflect upon ways that a godless attitude distorts and destroys lives, and it does. Because when men exclude God from their lives and live primarily to satisfy their own hearts, they make life harder than it has to be, always. No, no, selfish, sinful people make life more difficult for themselves and for others that are around them. It's, it's absolutely the truth. And where we're reading at this morning, Solomon examines four sins that are common to society. Those four sins are oppression, envy, laziness, and extreme selfishness. And I believe that you would agree that these sins are very, very common in our culture today. I mean, you can't look around without seeing those things. They're responsible for some of the, really responsible for some of the stress even we feel across our nation. And as Solomon has observed, as long as we continue to deny God, we really have no reason whatsoever to hope that the situation's going to improve. It's not going to improve as long as we deny God. I, I'm telling you, this nation is not going to improve as the, as the leaders of this nation continue to deny God. It's just not going to happen. And a sinful, selfish people will continue to make life miserable for others. And for change to happen, it must come from God. Uh, apart from God, the best that we can do is to understand the nature of these sins and guard our own hearts against them. And we do need to understand that. We do need to understand that we live in a dark world. We do need to understand that God is not the cause of the dark world. We do need to understand that God has answers for us as we go through life in this dark world. It is important that we understand. So he addresses these different sins of society, and he starts with the sin of oppression. Verse number one again, so I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which were already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the son the oppression oppression is kind of like this i want what you have 
and I'll use my power to take it. Oppression is very real in our society today. I mean, it's spread across society. And oppression refers to acts of treachery and tyranny and extortion, abuse, and such like. It's seeking personal advancement or, or, or profit without regard to the nature, the needs, or the rights of the people that are around them. It's all about me. Uh, one Bible commentator said this, there is not a word in our language which expresses more detestable wickedness than oppression. Uh, over in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God. I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. See, oppression often in involves abuse and abuse of power and the oppressor gets what he wants through threats or intimidation or persecution Uh, oppressors are enabled because no one stands up for the oppressed (laughs) we need to stand up for the oppressed truly victims cry but nobody comes to their aid they have no comforters is what he's saying here they have no comforters and power is abused but no one comes forward to protect the rights of those that are taken advantage of we know that's right in our society don't we come on do you read the newspaper Watch the nightly news. It happens all across our country. Uh, From the lowest standard to the highest standard and everybody in between, there are oppressors everywhere that want their way and they're going to get their way no matter how many people they have to hurt to get it. They're out there. (sighs) Boy. And oppression makes life miserable. It's miserable. And if the oppressed have no one to stand up for them and no real opportunity for their condition to improve, come on, we're looking at this through Solomon's eyes, who's forgotten all about God. He's just trying to figure out what's going on in the world. And, and, and if the oppressed has nobody to stand up for them and no real opportunity for the condition to improve whatsoever, what he says in verse number two is death just seems better than life. Come on, we're, no, no, come on. He's, he's looking at the carnal side. He's looking at, at the side without God. And how much, has, how much has suicide just skyrocketed in our society today? People thinking that there's no hope, that there's no guidance, that they'll never get any better, that they'll never get out of the place that they are in. But they are leaving God out of the equation. I'm telling you, there is hope. Well, preacher, how should Christians handle this oppression? Hebrews 13, 3 says this, get this. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in body. We're supposed to reach out to those. We're supposed to be encouragers. We're supposed to be exhorters to, to, to them to do right 
and do good and look unto God and do what God would have them to do. Proverbs 21.13 says, Who stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall also cry himself, but shall not be heard. So we are to continue to reach out into St. Joseph America and reach out to those that have been oppressed and bring them in and let them know there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and that if they will just personally put their trust in Him and follow Him along the way, that they can know the peace that passes understanding. They can have the free forgiveness of sin. They can know that they have a home beyond this world. Amen. They don't have to live like that. They don't have to put up with that. They don't have to be put in that position and stay in that position. I'm telling you, when people live as if there is no God to whom they will give account, getting what they want is usually more important to them than doing what is right. And this world is full of those kind of people. But that's not God's fault. Because I'm telling you, everybody that knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and makes this their guidebook through this life is not going to be an oppressor. Is not going to try to keep people down like this. Is not going to make people's lives miserable, but they will do everything they can to help others along the way, to lift up others and encourage others and bless others. I'm telling you, this world is not in the condition that it's in because there is no God. This world is in the condition that it's in because people do not listen to God and they do not know God. But us that do know God should be reaching out to those that do not know God so that they might come to find the peace that you and I have sitting in this place today. Absolutely, absolutely so. The record of human history is filled with tyranny and persecution and abuse and other common forms of oppression. Because oppression is frequently aimed at those who are the most vulnerable. I'm talking about the weak and the poor and and minorities. It's most usually a problem that just gets ignored. People don't take note. They don't try to help. Boy, you and I that know the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be doing everything we can to help the oppressed. We ought to be reaching out and showing there is hope in this life. We ought to be a light that shines in this dark, dark world. We ought to be salt that flavors the things that are around us. Oppression is very real in our society today, but we don't have to be disenchanted because of it. I'm saying you and I that know Christ, we don't have to be disenchanted because of that. Because we have a God in heaven. And He is all-knowing and all-caring and all-powerful. And He will help us. He will help us along the way. And then we see here in in our, our Scripture today, we see the reality of inequality. Verse number four there, it it says, Again, I considered all travail and every right work for uh, that for this man is envied of his neighbor. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. America has been called the land of opportunity. And in the early years of our nation's history, many immigrants came to America because of the promise of a better life. And actually through hard work and perseverance, a lot of people moved up through the ranks of society. We've seen that. They moved into better neighborhoods. They surrounded themselves with nicer possessions. They improved their quality of life because of their work. However, the formula of hard work and perseverance didn't pay off for everyone. 
It didn't pay off for everyone. And, and while some prospered, others struggled and envied. The prosperous were envied by the less prosperous neighbor. I want to say this with all honesty and sincerity. Not everyone who strives to get ahead succeeds. Not everyone gets a bigger house. Not everyone gets a better car. Not everyone has a better wardrobe. Come on, it's just reality of life. It's just the way that it is. For some, life is all travail. They work as hard as anyone, but they never seem to get ahead. And others seem to find the right work, and they reap the benefits of their labor. And that word right refers to that which is opportune or advantageous or or prone to succeed. A person could make the point that it, it is not, get this please, a person could make the point that it is not just hard work that brings success, but working hard at something that you're good at doing. Success is finding what God wants you to do and pursuing it. And trusting God in in everything along the way. But here's what, what Solomon is pointing out. Social inequality breeds a spirit of envy. And we see that in our society, don't we? Oh, no, no. That, that's why those of, of lesser go and try to take away from those that have more. Okay. That's why we have to lock up our goods today. That's why we have locks on our storage sheds. That's why we have to lock our doors at night now. That's why we have to make sure our cars are locked up. Oh, no, no, because those of the lesser are envious of those that have more, and they go after it. One Bible commentator said this, God did not put this selfishness factor into human labor. It is a result of sin in the human heart. Come on, God put man in the garden and gave him a job to do. He was supposed to work. Come on, he was supposed to work for what he had. That was God's plan from the very beginning. That you would go out and you would work for what you had and that you would be content with what you came up with. But envy causes people to covet what others have. Or to, uh, uh, to, to match or, or exceed their prosperity. They, they want what they have. And that produces a dog-eat-dog competitive spirit that we often experience in the job market, don't we? Oh, it's out there. And while there's nothing wrong with working hard to get ahead, hard work should never be driven by a heart that's fueled by envy and greed and jealousy and other manifest- manifestations of a selfish heart. Come on, we work hard because it's right to work hard. We work hard and do what, 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 what we know that we should do because it's the right thing to do. I'm, I'm saying that a heart that's driven by envy produces a stressed, angry, irritated, dissatisfied spirit. Why can't I have what they have? Why does it seem like everything they do turns good? And it brings about a spirit that God never, never meant for us to have. What whatsoever? Come on, God is faithful. He will supply our need. He will take care of us if we're dependent upon Him. We we heard it very well today already. 
But then Solomon talks about a sense, now stay with me, headed somewhere. He talks about a sense of entitlement. Look at verse number five. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. So a spirit of envy and a sense of entitlement are opposite manifestations of the same uh, same desire for financial equality. Each wants his share of the pie. The difference is that one works for his share. Listen, that one works for his share and the other wants to be given his share. I want what they have. Well, they worked hard for what they have. I know, but I want it. I want to be like them. I want to have what they have. But I'm here to declare to you this morning, entitlement is a fool's hope. It's a fool's hope. It is foolish to expect to get what you need without doing work to, any work to acquire it. That's just foolish. Absolutely so. No, no, no. The issue here, get, please get this. The issue here is not poverty. The issue here is idleness. It's an unwillingness to work for what you have. God is not condemning people for being in need. No, 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 no. Nor even suggesting that we should not give them some help at times when we're able to do so. What he's condemning is the spirit that wants everything everyone else has, but is too lazy to get out and work for it. That's good preaching if I am doing it. I'm guaranteeing we live in a society where people want everything handed to them. But that never was God's plan. It never was God's plan. What, what God is condemning is the spirit that, that, that wants what everyone else has, but they want people just to hand it over to them. Dad, Mom, listen to me. Please listen to me. Your children need to be taught how to work. Amen. You need to teach them how to work. They need to be shown how to do jobs and how to do them right and expected to get it done. They should be expected to get things done that they're told to get done. And if they do not finish that work and you allow that, or even go in there and finish their job for them, you're doing them a real injustice. I'll say it again, you're doing them a real injustice because you're teaching them just to go ahead and quit a job or that someone else should do that job for them. I'm here to tell you, make your children work. Teach them how to work. They're going to have to work the rest of their life. Teach them to work while you have a chance to teach them to work. Those that live with a sense of entitlement perpetuate their own misery. Look, I don't, I don't need, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to be mean or understanding when I'm fi- what, with what I'm fixing to say, but I'm telling you, no, 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 they perpetuate their own misery. There's people out there that instead of, no, there's jobs available everywhere. And there's people out there that would rather sit on a cold rainy corner with a sign and a bucket hoping somebody would give them a dollar or two than to go get a job and take care of themselves. I'm telling you, they are perpetuating their own misery. It's not God's plan. It's not God's way. And we, the people of God, certainly shouldn't be feeling like we're entitled to anything. We're entitled to what we work for. It's just a fact. It's the way God always meant for it to be. No, these are sins in our society today. These are sins that we see everywhere we look. It's really going on still today. 
Somebody like that's always going to be looking for somebody else to meet their need. But the wise person learns to be content with what he has while working, listen, while working for what he needs. Verse number six. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. So the greedy person just drives himself to fill both hands, but his heart knows no peace. Come on, we see that a lot today, don't we? Come on, people that do have been prosperous, and they, man, they have plenty along the way, but they have no real peace in their life, no real peace in their heart whatsoever. And then the lazy person just sits there with empty hands while waiting for somebody else to fill them up. But the contented person is satisfied with a handful. I mean, enough to meet the day's needs and is willing to work for it. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. You know, it's just wonderful to think that someone would go out and they would work a job and they would go home at night and open up the refrigerator and get out some lunch meat and some things to fix a sandwich and get some bread and make them a sandwich and sit down at a table and thank God for what they had because they worked to have it. And they're just content that God has met their need along the way. But they're going to continue to work to try to better themselves and and trust that God's going to give them the health and the job that they need to continue to go forward. But if night after night they come home and they get in that refrigerator and they fix that same sandwich and they're thankful for it, they're living a good life. Absolutely living a good life. Content with what we have. Content with what God gives. Content with what we're doing. That we know, listen to me please, that we are being a good example to those out there. Even though we may not have the car like our neighbor or house like others we know, but we are content with doing what we know is right to do. It's the right thing to do. Absolutely so. Numerous studies suggest that Americans work too hard. No, it's true. Those that work. Uh, we, work to, uh, we work the equivalent of nearly a full month longer than our counterparts in industrialized nations. We, we spend nearly 40% less time at leisure than our, do our previous generation. We consume much more alcohol. Ho- hopefully not in here. Okay. Uh, we take far more prescription medications for anxiety and depression than those that just got out and worked hard every day. We seem to be very good at filling both hands, but we're paying the price with travail and vexation of spirit. Because money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't buy joy. Oh, no, 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 friend. It just does not. But he finishes out here with this thought, talking about an independent lifestyle. Verse number seven says, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. 
Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. An independent lifestyle. Uh, this is a life with no strings attached. But let's say, uh, as, as we look at this, uh, a, a person never marries, a person never has any children. He has little to do with his family as if, there's, as if he has no brother. And, and no matter how hard he works or how much he gains, he's just never satisfied. Because he labors only for himself. It's all about him with little thought of how his life might be shared with others. This is a life deprived of blessing of companionship and community. And let me say this right here. We need each other. We need each other. Absolutely so. I'm thankful for Riverside Baptist Church. I'm thankful for what she stands for and has stood for all these years. I'm thankful that we continue to push forward and try to get the gospel out not only around the world, but right here in St. Joseph. I'm thankful for, for the music here. I'm, thankful for, I'm just so thankful for the spirit here. I'm thankful for so much, but I'm telling you, I'm thankful for the Riverside family. That we're here to encourage one another and lift up one another and be there for one another when that need arises. It's so, so very important. Look, Solomon is not condemning singleness. Don't get that. He's not condemning singleness. He's condemning selfishness. I don't need anybody. You're wrong. I can do this on my own. You might, but it's not going to bring about an enjoyable life. We need each other. A life shared with others has benefits that offset some of our burdens. He, he talks about that. The satisfaction of our work is doubled because it's shared with the thoughts of being a blessing to someone else. Talks about that in verse number nine. The hardships of life are halved because we do not bear them alone. Talks about that in verse number 10. Because when we stumble, we have someone at our side to help us get back on our feet. When we suffer, we have someone at our side to comfort us along the way. Come on, Riverside family. When we face enemies, we have someone at our side to help us fight for victory. No man is an island. We need one another. Don't get the feeling like you need no one else. You do. You do. Verse number 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly, is not quickly broken. There is strength in numbers. Amen. So let me conclude with this. In Solomon's final analysis, he observes that poverty, listen, he observes that Poverty does not necessarily mean unhappiness. But neither prosperity nor prestige guarantee happiness. And he talks about that. A poor wise child might have the happiness that eludes a king. There in verse number 13. Come on, stay with me. 
that a poor wise child might have the happiness that eludes a king, and at any moment the fortunes of life may turn so that the prisoner becomes a king. And the king becomes a pauper, verse number 14. It's right there. And that, and that which is gained by one generation may be lost by the next. It's a reality of life. And Solomon ends, because again, he's hunting for something without God. Please get me, come on, please stay with me. Solomon ends on a note of discouragement. He sees life marching onward, one generation following another generation, and he is certain that nothing's going to change. That sin will continue to make life hard for everyone. That, that selfish people will still make life miserable for other people. And if that's the way that it's going to be, then life will never ever be satisfying. That it's always just going to be vanity and vexation of spirit. Come on, that's the way he ends this thing. Real encouragement there, isn't it? But he doesn't have his eyes on God. He doesn't have his eyes on what God can do in someone's life. As Christians, we live in this world, but our eyes are, are to be fixed on the world to come. Mm. This world is not our home if you're a born-again child of God. We're just a passing through. We've got a home waiting for us. And we ought to keep our sights set on it. And by, by the grace of God, we endure the same trials that are common to all that live under the sun. But we know that we're headed for a home called heaven. A place that, that exists above and outside of this world. And we know that our eternal home will continue to endure long after sin and selfishness have run their course. No, I'm looking forward to being there. Where there is no more sin. Where there is no more selfishness. What a wonderful time that's going to be. One day, all that we see in this world, please get this, one day, all that we see in this world will have passed away. You're looking for happiness in this world, from this world. You're not going to find the happiness that God has to offer. It's not going to happen. It will always leave you disappointed. It will always leave you wanting. Always, always, always. As we wait for that kingdom and, and its king, we experience the satisfaction and joy in life that's impossible to find in this world alone. We're, we're not going to find it here. If your sight is set on this world alone, you will always find yourself disappointed over and over again. But if you will keep your eyes on the one that gave you eternal life, if you will heed what his word says and do your best to live according to his plan, I'm telling you, this life need not be one disappointment after another. Doesn't have to be like that. You can experience the joy, that full joy that Jesus says he wants us to have as we go through life in this world. You can have it. It is available. See, the sins that affect this society, they are very real. Oh, they're real. 
It's not like they're not out there. It's not like we're not affected by it to some, to some, to, to some extent as we go through life in this world. But what I'm trying to say this morning as you pastor is don't allow them to be your downfall. Amen. Not when you have a God in heaven that cares so very much about you. Be looking unto Him, the author and finisher of your faith. Don't let the trials of this life keep you from knowing the joy of the Lord. Don't forget that you are supposed to be a bright light in this dark world. And as you will set your sights on Him and what He has for you, He'll help you make it through. And He can help you be content with whatever you may have in this life. That's our great God. And that's what He wants for us. Absolutely so. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one looking around in respect of the Lord for just a moment, please. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm not even sure I'm saved. I'm not even sure I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I'm not sure that I've ever put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm not sure that I have a home reserved in heaven. Preacher, would you just remember to say a prayer for me? Boy, I'd like to do that for you this morning. Would you slip your hand up wherever you're at if that's the case for you? Right there, God bless you. Others? Yeah, preacher, that's me. Would you just remember me in prayer? I'm not sure that I've ever trusted Christ as my Savior. Right there, God bless you. God bless you. Others? I just want to pray for you back there. God bless your heart. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. You may put your hand down, sir. Others? Yeah, Preacher, I don't know for sure. God bless you, ma'am, right here. Thank you. Thank you for being so, thank you for being honest. I do just want to pray for you. I can't get saved for you, but I, I, I do want to pray for you that you might come to know Christ before it's too late. Anyone else before we move on? Yeah, preacher, that's me right there. Yes, sir. Thank you. Others, anyone else before we move on? Just don't want to miss anyone. You're here this morning and you know you're saved by the grace of God, but you have allowed this world to get you down. I'm not trying to embarrass you, no way, shape, or form. Wouldn't do that for anything. But you have let the oppression of this world, something in this world, get you down. You just allowed it to happen in your life. And you say, preacher, that's me. I, I know that I need to set my sights on God. I know that I need to be looking unto Him more. Preacher, I... I, I I know that that is where I am right now. Would you please just remember to pray for me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'd like to pray for you like that. Would you slip up your hand and hold it up for just a minute while I, right there, God bless you and you and you and back there, back there, over here. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you so much for that. You may put your hands down. You didn't raise your hand before, but you want to raise it now. Yeah, preacher, when you pray for them, pray for me too. I, I, I just need to get my eyes back on God and off this world. I know that's true. Just pray for me that I, I will encourage myself in the Lord. I will get back to looking unto Him. Anyone else before we move on? You didn't raise your hand before. Right there and right there. God bless your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Thank you so very, very, very much for that. Let's all stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The altar's open. Some have already come to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace and mercy and for sending your only begotten Son all those years ago that we might be saved by your grace, be your children. And I pray for those in here that do not know Christ as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them to come even today 
and trust Christ. I pray that you'd continue to work in their hearts and lives and convict, convict them and convince them, knowing, Lord, that if they come to you, that you will save their soul, that they can be a child of yours. Lord, I pray for them. I lift them up to you. They have to ultimately make that decision. I pray that they would come even today and let us show them how they can get that settled. And then for the hands all across the auditorium everywhere, Lord, I, I don't know how, I don't know what's going on in those folks' lives, but you know, and they do. And I lift them up to you and I pray that you'd give them strength and guidance. I, I pray that you'd help their heart. I, I pray, Father, that they plant their sight firmly back on you, trusting you to give them the commitment, they're look, the contentment that they are looking for. Lord, help us to be more mindful of you and what you're doing in our life and in our world than we are of the sins of our society. Help us be determined to walk with you each day. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, and we pray all of these things and trust you for them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, some have already made their way to the altar. Piano's playing. You need to come. You need to pray. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Why don't you come this morning? Let one of our good people take a Bible and show you how you can have that all settled. That's what, that's what we'd love to do. Or maybe you're just struggling with life right now, and you just need to come and ask God for the strength, the wherewithal to go on, push on, keeping your eyes on Him. Whatever your need may be today, God will meet your need if you'll just come.